All right, y'all, how we doing tonight? Okay, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to land there in just a minute. Matthew chapter 7. Whoop. Uh, your Bible's got an Old Testament, New Testament. We've been in the book of Daniel. We're going to get back there tonight, but I want to open up by just diving into a quick uh, passage where Jesus is teaching on a mountainside, and, and in Matthew chapter 7, he's going to set the stage and use an analogy that I want us to dive into tonight. Um, I want to show you, I meant to show you guys this this morning, and then um, I forgot, so here's this photo. This is my family right here. That's my wife Paige. You've probably seen her around. That's Phoebe. You can't really see any part of her right there, but come say hi to Phoebe, and then that's Piper, of course, and then I have one more photo. This is just sassy pants in her in all of her glory, okay? Uh, Piper's like a skosh sick right now, so she's like a little bit in her feels. So if you come up to her and say hi and she gives you one of these, like, mm, it's not you, it's her, okay? But uh, this girl is two and a half and just all life. Homegirl is a lot of fun and survived drinking the baptismal water. So it's good, okay? We're chilling. But... Um, I, I told you guys this morning that I grew up in Ecuador. Um, I spent a, a fair amount of time down there about from the time I was seven to when I graduated high school. And one of my absolute favorite things that we got to do when I was a kid is uh, every once in a while a team would come in and my dad would lead these international mission trips and I would get to go with him. And I lived in Quito, so it's a city of about three, four million people, a huge city. There was a McDonald's and like a movie theater and all of that. And so like, people would come to Ecuador and be like, oh, I thought like Tarzan was like your high school teacher, you know, and like, like I thought you lived in the jungle. And it's like, no, 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 like big city in the Andes Mountains, sits up at 10,000 feet elevation. So anybody been winded already this week? Anybody felt the elevation of 5,000 feet? Okay, double Hume. And that's where Quito sits. And so playing sports down there was, was wild. It's like the Mile High City times two, okay? Go Heat. Um, any, any Nuggets fans in the house? Any Heat fans in the house? Okay, no NBA fans in the house. Where's my one Raider fan? Hey, let's go, okay? My man. Um, so it, living in Quito, like to go down to the jungle was just this total treat. And so we would, we would take the trip every once in a while, like three, four hours down into the jungle. And this one particular time, my dad took me down with this team and we, we uh, got off the bus in this little city called Shelmera. And if, if you've ever heard of Jim Elliott or Nate Saint, there were these five missionaries uh, that they flew down to Ecuador back in the, the 70s and 80s, and they flew into Ecuador to evangelize, to go into this tribe and to tell this tribe about Jesus. And they ended up losing their lives for it. And, and you can actually, there's a, a book called The End of the Spear. There's a movie. It's this crazy story of five guys who put everything on the line because they believe that God was calling them to share the gospel with these people, the Warani. And if, if you know the end of the story, it was actually Nate Saint's wife, um, or sorry, um, Elizabeth Elliot, Jim Elliot's wife, that went back into the tribe after they speared her husband to death, and she's the one that shared the gospel with this tribe. And now in the middle of this tribe, there's a church. These people went from like this gnarly, head-hunting, like crazy culture to they're now evangelizing to the tribes around them. And so my dad, he, he had a team that was coming down, and they were going to fly into this tribe. And he's like, hey, do you want to come with me? And this is kind of similar to like the monkey question. Like, do you want a pet monkey? Do you want to fly into the jungle? It's like, um, yes. Like this a thousand percent yes. So we hopped in these little tiny Cessna five-person five airplanes and we take off 
And there's like, I kid you not, there's like duct tape on the wing of these missionary planes. Like these missionaries are next level gnarly. And we're flying for like an hour, hour and a half over just pure jungle. And then they're like, all right, we're going to land. And at this point, you're looking out at just a sea of trees. And it's like, where? Like, where are we going to land? And, and sure enough, like a, this tiny clearing in the trees and these legendary missionary pilots swing this five-person plane around. And we, got, we went in there about a, a team of 15 of 20 of us. And we land on this little grass runway. And, and we go out and we, we, we just hung, hung with this tribe for two weeks. And uh, we were in there to, to come and, and do like a VBS with the kids, and we were helping build a, a home for one of the missionaries from Argentina that was going to come and live in this tribe. And one of the days, uh, we woke up early, and we start hiking into the jungle with chainsaws. And I'm like, it does not get better than this, right? And we're hiking into the jungle, and, and I kid you not, we had built the, the frame of this house but we took these chainsaws into the jungle, and uh, some of the Warani, the, the, the tribal people in there, they were taking the chainsaws, and they were cutting out the two-by-fours out of the trees, okay? You're a long way from a Home Depot when you're in the middle of the jungle in Ecuador. So they take the chainsaws, they cut out the boards that we're going to use to build this house, and then we, as the team, and then a couple of the local people would take these boards and like, throw them over your shoulder, walk down to the river, and float them down river. And this was like one of the coolest, gnarliest experiences of my life because when you cut a board out of a tree and it's still like wet from being in the tree, that sucker is heavy. So I took one board, okay? I'm like a senior in high school at this point and I take one board and I put it over my shoulder and I'm like, I gotta hike out of the jungle with this thing. Right next to me, this little Wadani woman, barefoot, takes four boards, flips them over her shoulder and she's like, hmm, and just keep, walks and I'm like, Respect, right? Like, re respect. Like, who run the world? Girls, okay? Like, it was like, it was, it was bananas to watch these people, like, the, with the work ethic, their ability, the strength. And we take all the boards, we float them down the river. And that whole day, we had been, uh, we had a, another team that was pouring cement, like, preparing this house to be built. But when you're in the middle of the Amazon jungle, it'll rain, okay? And if you think today was rain, Go spend a little bit of time in the jungle and you'll understand what rain actually is. And that night it started to rain and then it started to really rain and then it was pouring. And we're going to bed that night and uh, all the houses are real simple built with tin roofs and so it's like screaming against the tin all night long. And we wake up the next morning and the rain had caused the river to swell seven, eight feet and every single bit of concrete that the team had poured before, gone, just washed away. Every board that we had taken all day to hike into the jungle, cut out, walk down to the river, flow all the way back down to the tribe, gone, right? It was just gone, like all of it in an instant. And our joke was always like some tribe miles down the river was like, dear Lord, we really need to build a house. Would you send some boards, right? And sure enough. Here come floating down a bunch of like Home Depot delivery at your doorstep tribe. But here's the thing, okay? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is going to present this concept of a storm hitting, much like the storm that we found ourselves in the middle of in the jungle down in Ecuador. And, and I want you to notice in this passage as we read this here in a minute that it doesn't say if the rain comes. No, in this passage that we're about to read, it says when the rain comes. And a lesson I learned firsthand in construction is the time to prepare for a storm is not in the middle of the storm. 
Okay? The time to prep to prepare, to build, to think about how do I make sure that we're good when this storm comes is not in the middle of the storm. So Jesus says this, he's teaching to a crowd of people on a mountainside, and he says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. And Hume Lake, if you're in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, much like this morning, can you give me a nice loud preach? Preach! That's what's up, okay? Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the what? On the rock. It says the rain came down. Notice, not if the rain comes down. It says the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the what? On the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, pause real quick and look up at me. When Jesus is teaching here, and he says, whoever hears these words of whose? Whose words? Mine. Mine. Okay, we're going to touch on this later this week, but I love that Jesus stands here, and in our day and age, in our cultural moment, where there's so many arguments that say Jesus was a great teacher, Uh, Jesus um, was a great healer, he was a great prophet, right? There's some things that you can take of Jesus's, and you can kind of pick and choose what kind of Jesus you want, or maybe you've seen the, like, sash-wearing, lamb-holding Jesus that's just, like, really gentle and sweet, and you're like... But like if life was actually gnarly, like you wouldn't reach out to that Jesus. I love this Jesus who boldly stands on a mountainside and says, if you hear these words of mine, he doesn't say if you hear God's word and put it into practice or if you take uh, the, the Bible's words, the Torah of the Old Testament, you take those words and put it into practice, you'll be like the man or the woman that builds their house on a rock. No, he says if you hear these words of mine, Jesus is making a bold claim here that if we take his words and we live them out, we will be like the man or we will be like the woman that takes the foundation of their life and builds it on the rock. See, I love that the wise person couldn't prevent the storm from coming, but they could prepare for the storm. And it says the fool is unaware of the coming storm, and even if they might try to prepare for the storm in the middle of the storm, it says their house is built on sand. See, I love uh, one of the pastors at our church, he, he always says, he puts it like this, he says, we're either in the middle of a storm right now, which some of you relate to, right? Like you might have come up to a camp for a week, but you know like what's waiting for you back home, or you know what you left as you came up here, and you're in the middle of a storm right now in your life. And I love that this pastor of our church says, this is just the reality of human life. He's been a pastor of our church for 43 years, and he says, you're either in a storm right now, you're coming out of a storm. If you look in your rearview mirror, you're like, let me tell you about how hard the last 18 months of my life have been. Or let me tell you about the last three years of my life. Or let me tell you about the season that just ended my life. You're either in a storm, you just came out of a storm, or you're walking into a storm. That's kind of life. 
And I, and I think, like, visually, if we look at this chapel, I think a lot of our lives are spent when it comes to walking with God. Like, if we look at this side of the room as, like, living in a comfortable moment, like, maybe you're not in a storm or you're in the sweet in-between spot, like the eye of the storm where it's like a storm hasn't come yet. A lot of the times when we find ourselves in comfortability, it's easy to forget God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, as God has brought the nation of Israel out of their, their wandering, out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, he warns them in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, when you find yourself in the promised land, with wells that you didn't dig, and living in houses that you didn't build, and, and, and taking crops from fields that you didn't plant, he says, be very careful that you don't forget the Lord. Because when we find ourselves in comfort, it's kind of easy to go, do I really need God? I'm, I'm kind of good. Is he, like, is he that good? Am I that bad? I'm, I'm kind of chilling. And sometimes like, if we take half the room and go, comfortability can be the greatest thing that can distract us from God. But here's the other reality. With trials either being something that we're in, something that we're coming out of, or something that we're walking into, if we look at this half of the room as like turmoil, like trials, we find ourselves in the middle of a painful moment. I promise you, every person in this room has either experienced this personally or heard it firsthand. Every person in this room has either seen somebody in the midst of a trial or been in a trial themselves and either heard or felt, God, where are you? In the midst of this pain, in the midst of this evil, in the midst of this brokenness, if you really were God, then why are these bad things happening to these seemingly good people? And we look at this and we wrestle with either comfortability, kind of forgetting God, or in the middle of a trial, maybe blaming God. And what I believe and what I want to dive into today is I think there's this middle aisle. I, th I think there's this tension to manage where we can be in this middle aisle and we can look at, is it possible to look at life, the comfortable moments, the hard moments, and everything in between, and live in this daily tension of going, I want to prepare for the storm because I know it's coming. I want to prepare for the comfortability because I know there's going to be moments of comfortability. And what I want to look at tonight is Daniel and his life and go, I don't believe for a second that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that these four guys, that their preparation for exile started in exile. I, I think their preparation for this moment that they found themselves in started long before they found themselves in Babylon. So turn back to Daniel chapter 1 and we're going to dive in. Hey, Daniel chapter 1. And remember this morning, we talked about this tension that exists between uh, hope and trust, right? That uh, our hope can only be found in God, and it can only be this unperishable, untouchable thing if we trust that God, right? This morning, we talked about, we went all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, where we have a very real enemy that, that whispered these four words to, to Adam and Eve. Do you remember what the four words? Did God really say? Now, why is this important? God had set up Adam and Eve in the garden. He had been walking with them. He had been living life with them. And then, and then Satan slithers in and goes, did God really say? Is he really good? Can you really trust him? Because friends, let me just tell you, in 2023, the exact same four words are going to be whispered to you on a daily basis. And this is what we will all wrestle with. Can you trust God? And can you trust what he says? Hey, 
Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, if you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, which means you have to trust the giver of the words and then the words themselves. Does that make sense? Right? Like if someone burst through that back door right now and was like, Austin, you need to come with me. And I don't know who that person is. I'm going to be like, um, security? Right? Like if somebody just burst through one of these doors and says, like, you need to come with me, I'm like, yo, homie, I don't know you. I'm not coming with you, right? I'm like, help? Like, you seniors in the room, protect me? Like, I, I don't know. Like, that's a scary moment. But can I tell you something? If my dad, if Phil Payne burst through those back doors right now, like, my dad lives in Washington State, okay? So first of all, I'd be like, huh? Right? Like, if my dad burst through those back doors and said, hey, Austin, I need you to come with me right now, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look at y'all and be like, hey, I love you to death, and, like, Hume's important to me, like, chapel's important to me, but, like, that's my pops, and I trust my dad. And, and like, the words that he says, his character, he's not going to ask me to do something if he doesn't mean it, and if it's not what's the best possible thing for me. So I love that Jesus sets this up. If you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, can you trust Jesus? Can you trust what he says? And this is what we, what, this is what we set up this morning. How did the nation of Israel find themselves in exile? 23 years of not trusting God and not trusting what he says. 23 years of going, God, we don't want to live life your way. And so they find themselves in a bit of a hopeless situation. And yet, contrasting the nation of Israel, we find these four dudes. Okay, so read with me in Daniel chapter 1, verse 6. Okay, remember the king assigned a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table for these guys for, to be trained up in for three years. And then verse 6 says this. It says, among those that were chosen were, were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. Right? We just saw this in the video. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Hey, and, and pause right there real quick. I, I want to just emphasize the importance of this. We saw it on the video, but if you're anything like me, when I first heard the story of like Daniel in the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like you hear these names and you're like, oh, cool. Like homie's got new names. Right? Maybe they just started going by their middle name. Like, I, I don't know. Like I've known people before that are like, I see them and I'm like, oh, no way, Tyler. And they're like, I go by Jack now. And you're like, Oh, okay, right? Like, cool. Like, it's names in 2023, like, they don't mean a whole lot for us. And so in, in this day and age, though, uh, your name was so intricately tied to your identity. See, for example, the name Daniel means God is my judge, which is significant when it comes to this story. Right? As, we, as we talk about this story, think about Daniel going, only God can be my judge, Right? And this isn't like a trendy social media way of saying that, right? He's not like, only God can judge, right? Like, it's not, that's not the point. Daniel's going like, no, like, I stand and I live in such a way that goes, the God of Israel is my judge and my judge alone. And then you have the Babylonians coming in going, actually, that's not your name anymore. Your name is going to be Belteshazzar. Do you know what that means? It means Bel, which was one of the Babylonian gods, Bel will protect me. Do you see what's going on here? This is so much deeper than just people being taken out of Israel and planted into Babylon. This is an identity shift. 
This is a, a group of people trying to go, we're going to take you from your land and from your God, and we're going to bring you into a new place in a new land. And we, we're seeing this play out in the videos, but there's going to be this wrestle and this tension of what do they do with who their God is and what their God has asked them to do in this new place that they find themselves in. By the way, does that sound familiar? Have you lived any amount of your life, maybe coming up to a camp or going to church, or maybe you're raised in a, in a home where your parents talk about the Bible, and then you go to a public school, or you go to a sports team, or you go to a friends group, and you live with this tension of how do I live this thing out? How do I find myself in an, in an arena that contrasts who God is and what he calls me to do, and what do I do with this? And so I love that we get to look at the life of Daniel, and I want us to stay here with Daniel, but I want us, Hume, freshman in the room, sophomore in the room, junior, senior, to go, what do I take from this, and how do I walk into my life and live differently because of it? Right? We're not just up here at Hume going, let's just tell a fun story about Daniel. We, we want to pull this away and back into our lives and go, how does this apply? How do, how do we walk back into our arenas, our high schools, our friend groups, our sports teams, our bands, and go... This has got to make me live differently. Okay, so Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. The chief official gives them new names, but Daniel resolves not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine. And he asked, okay, this is where if you have a pen, I want you to just underline this phrase. And he asked, just double underline right there. And he asked the chief official for permission, circle that word, not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official had told Daniel, I'm afraid of my, of my lord the king who has assigned your food and your drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. See, notice that Daniel didn't just find himself in a foreign context and go, mm-mm, I'm an Israelite. I will not eat this food. I will not drink this drink, right? Notice that he wasn't hostile towards the people that he found himself in, right? Like it, in, in today's day and age, it, it, like the, one of the most cringiest things to me is like these keyboard warriors that hop online and you find yourself in this like social media battle. Friends, especially when it comes to like Christianity and topics around Christianity. Like I want to talk to some of these like like so-called Christians who are hopping on these chat battles and going like, I just want to print it out and go, will you read this out loud for me? Will you just read it out loud for me? Have you ever noticed that we'll type something furiously that we would never say out loud? And I love that Daniel goes to the man who's in charge of him and he asks permission not to defile himself. Remember we talked about 1 Peter this morning? We talked about this guy, Peter, who finds himself uh, in a day and age where Nero's in charge and Christians are like on the hot seat, right? Like they're, they're in a moment where they're being persecuted. And, and Peter, 1 Peter writes this, or Peter writes this in 1 Peter. In verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 15, he says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within. Always. He says, follower of Jesus, if you have hope in a seemingly hopeless situation, if you trust God and do what he says, always be prepared to give an answer for that hope. We should be able to back it up. 
We should be able to stand firmly in the midst of turmoil or in the midst of the chaos around us. And then the very next verse says this. It says, but always do so with gentleness and respect. And I think in 2023, we've lost those two words. If we're going to be followers of Jesus that are winsome in our culture, I love that Daniel sets an example of like, he's not just trying to buck the system and go, I'm an Israelite, hear me roar. No, he comes respectfully and he says, I do not want to defile myself. I've resolved not to defile myself. And he goes and he asks him, and it says the Lord's favor was upon him. Let's keep reading and see what happens. Daniel then says to the guard in verse 11, the chief official that, that had been appointed over them, he says, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with the other young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance to what you see. So we agreed and this test began. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the other young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And then this chapter is going to wrap up with, at the end of their three-year period, them being presented to King Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar bringing them into his service. But I don't want you to miss this, friends. This isn't a dietary passage. Okay? Like The takeaway from this isn't like, so y'all should jump on the Daniel plan. And like eat vegetables and drink water because it's going to make you physically healthier. That's not the takeaway here. The point wasn't that they resisted their name change and ate vegetables instead. No, in the Old Testament, there was actually about 613 commandments that God had given to his people. And now, like, please don't mishear this or misunderstand this. We talked a little bit about this this morning, but this book... The greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told in its entirety. This book is not a book about what we have to do to get to God. This book is the greatest story ever told about what God has done to get to us. And so I don't want you to hear these 613 commands and think like, ugh, more rules, more things that we have to do. But for them, for Daniel, for, for Shadrach, for Meshach, for Abednego, they looked at those 613 laws, those 613 commands, as God inviting them into life that was actually life. It's God going, don't drink the baptismal water. Right? It's God, do you know before the Ten Commandments, y'all familiar with the Ten Commandments? You heard of those before? Right? Do you know what he says before he gives the nation of Israel the Ten Commandments? He says this, Hear, O Israel, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Therefore, do not. And then he gives them the Ten Commandments. Now, why would God do that? If God's about to give his people commandments, why would he remind them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, let me give you some rules. When we look at rules, when we look at what God says, what are we asking? Do I trust God? And do I trust what he says? So God goes, hey, let me remind you. This is who I am. This is what I've done. It's him going, if you remember who I am and what I've accomplished and what I've done on your behalf, then you wouldn't. And the Ten Commandments would read much more as, hey, if you remember who God is and what he says, 
then you wouldn't have any other gods before him. If you remember who God is and what he says, then you wouldn't commit adultery. If you remember who God is and what he says, then you wouldn't murder. Why? Because we trust him and our hope is put in him and our perspective is greater than our current circumstance. And so we find Daniel in exile entering into Babylon with his three buddies going, our understanding of God and his character and what he says is way past our current circumstance. So we're gonna resolve not to defile ourselves even in the midst of trial, even in the mi- when it's uncomfortable, even when it doesn't make sense. Okay, um, how many of you are Americans, born and raised in America? Okay, cool, that's like most of you. Um, in America, when you ask the question, how are you? What's the like natural American response to that question? Good or fine, right? Good or fine. And it doesn't matter what's going on in your life, right? That's just an American response. How are you? Good. Unless you have like an actual relationship with that person or you actually like know that person or you're able to be a little bit vulnerable and then you can kind of maybe get into the nitty gritty. But in America, when you ask the question, hey, how are you doing? I'm not necessarily asking how you're actually doing. It's just kind of a greeting. And the answer is good. Fine. Now, if you get into it with one, like you got a homie, you got one of your friends, and they come into you and they go, hey, how are you doing? Like, how, how's it going? What are they asking? How's it been going? Like, if you walked up to your friend and you said, hey, how's it going? And they were like, well, when I was seven, you'd be like, when I was seven? Like, what, where's this going, right? Like, I don't have time for this. Like, you're, you're asking, how's it been going lately? Like, how is it going circumstantially? And now this is, like, there's nothing wrong with this. This is just like a very normal cultural conversation. The only problem with this is when we translate this to the church. In America, if you ask a Christian or a follower of Jesus, you say, hey, how's your relationship with God going? Our answer, most of the time, is dependent on our current circumstance. How's it been going lately? And I love that Daniel kind of shoots this out of the water. His relationship with God, his understanding of who this God is, is completely not dependent on his current circumstance. He picks his head up. He sees something bigger. He's not preparing for the storm in the middle of the storm. Hey, how many football fans I have out there? How many NFL fans? Okay, you might remember this, football fans. And for non-football fans, buckle up, okay? You're like... You might hear about this for the first time and go, whoa, that happened, okay? So in 2017, there was a guy named Tom Brady. Y'all heard of him? Okay. Uh, Tom Brady took his team to the Super Bowl again in 2017. And here's the thing about being a pastor, okay? Um, Pastors, where are my pastors at in the room? Okay, where are my football fan pastors in the room? Okay, the sucky thing about being a pastor is we can't really watch much NFL because on Sundays, like, Football happens on Sundays, church happens on Sundays. So a lot of the times I record games, but most Sundays, I'll have a student that'll run up to me, like when the Raiders have a 10 a.m. game, and they'll be like, oh, you see the Raiders get clapped? And I'm like, I was recording that game, but thank you for ruining it for me again, right? Like, awesome, like, love you, go home, right? I'm calling your parents, okay? Like, I, I hate the moments where, where like, uh, these ru- games get ruined by me, for, for me. So I had a friend who, uh, he's a pastor also, and he's a diehard Patriots fan. And for whatever reason, right, this, this felt like an un-American thing, but he couldn't watch the Super Bowl 
live. And I was like, okay, that's kind of messed up. But, and so we recorded it. And I watched the Super Bowl in 2017, which if you know what happened in the Super Bowl in 2017 where the Patriots played against the Falcons, right? Matty Ice is still waking up in the middle of the night going, how? How did that happen, okay? Here's what happened. So I'm watching this game, and I watched it live. The next day, I did, it was everything in me, y'all, not to spoil this for my buddy. But the next day, we're watching this game. I had it recorded. I had it all set up, right? Like, I'm a good friend, so I, I made, like, the, the wings and all the, like, Super Bowl snacks. And I'm like, we're going to recreate the Super Bowl here for you, okay? But we're watching the game, and in the third quarter of this game, with eight minutes and, I want to get this exact, 36 seconds left, the Falcons were up on the Patriots 28 to three. Now, if you've ever watched a sports fan watch their team in a championship game be down 28 to three, it was awkward, okay? Like homies in the depths at this point. Like he's like, no team has ever come back from this deficit ever in the history of the NFL. And so 28 to three with eight minutes and 36 seconds, he's like sitting there and he's just like, why Austin? Did you make me watch this game? And I'm trying to do everything I can not to spoil it. And I sit there, and I'm like, I'm sitting there cool as a cucumber, right? Why? Like, he's stressed, he's anxious, he's sweating, right? Like, it's like all the emotions he's experiencing live. And I'm sitting there like, eating my snacks cool as a cucumber. Why? I know how the story ends. I've already seen it. I've watched the end of this game. And so I'm sitting there, and I look at him, and I just go, just wait. And he's like, no, like, come on. And I'm like, I, I'm not going to say anything, right? Like, I'm, I'm trying to keep it cool. I'm done. I, I don't want to ruin this for you. Like, all my freaking high school students ruin it for me, okay? And so I'm like, I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm like, just, just wait. And all of a sudden, Patriots score. And he's like, 28 to 10, whoop-de-doo, right? And I'm like, just wait. Y'all, the Patriots are about to go on a historic tear, and they score in the third quarter again and again. The fourth quarter ends. They, at the end of this game, at the end of the fourth quarter, when the whistle blows, the Patriots tied the game 28 to 28, and this thing went to overtime. Never in the history of sports have you ever watched a sports fan go from like a puddle of themselves to like screaming at a TV, right? You know what I'm saying? And homie's like getting amped, like the snacks are spilled everywhere, and I'm still sitting there cool as a cucumber, right? Going, just wait, why? I know how the story ends. I've seen it. I've watched this thing play out. I'm not, my, not on the roller coaster that he's on because I'm not in the middle of it. I know I have this confidence in how the story ends. And this game will go into overtime and Tom Brady, the undeniable goat, right, will take his team to victory 34 to 28 and mount the greatest comeback in the history of the Super Bowl. And that is why Matt Ryan still wakes up going, I cannot believe that that happened, right? Like this, this game is just an utter meltdown in sports. But I loved watching my friend in the middle of that whole thing and me sitting there going, just wait. Why? Because I know how the story ends. When we look at this story, Genesis through Revelation, and we watch this thing play out, high school student in the room, leader in the room, in the midst of your comfortability or in the midst of your turmoil and your trial, what God is calling us to, what we see Daniel be a living, breathing, active example of is not living dependent upon our circumstances. 
See, as a, as a follower of Jesus, if you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, our lives are not dependent on circumstance. They're just not. We know how this story ends. And we might be in the middle of the worst trial or we might be in the, like, having the best time of our life and we can confidently walk with this Jesus. Why? Because we know that this is the greatest story ever told about what God has done to get to us and who this Jesus is and what he has accomplished on our behalf because he loves us. And we're gonna keep unpacking this this week. But if you are a follower of Jesus in this room and you're in the middle of it right now, can I stand up here and look at you and say, just wait. And if you find yourself sitting here in this room and maybe you're still unsure about this whole God thing, you're unsure about this whole Bible thing and this whole camp thing and you don't really know how you found yourself here or you've been wrestling with the church or with God, would you lean into a story, an example and a guy like Daniel, a Jesus who says, put these words of mine into practice and watch how your life doesn't have to be dependent on today or tomorrow or this week, that we can confidently have our hope in him and our trust in him and walk the tension, fine line that says, today I choose to follow you. And my life isn't dependent on my circumstances. I can resolve in the same way that Daniel resolved, not to defile myself, to choose to trust you and follow you. Because my life is bigger than just my current moment, my current circumstance. Pray with me. God, thanks for tonight. God, in my mind goes to Romans chapter 12 that invites us to not conform to the patterns of this world around us, but to be transformed. God, thank you that your word doesn't ask us to just be better people. God, that your word doesn't ask us to try harder today but it says to be transformed, God, and we know we're confident that you are the God that transforms. And so we open ourselves to you tonight. God, would our cabin time discussions, would our follow-up one-on-ones, would our moments even with just you be asking you to come and transform? And that Daniel lived this life walking the tension of resolving not to defile himself, of choosing to trust you enough to actually do what you say. That his relationship with you wasn't circumstantial. God, we want to be like Daniel tonight. We ask that you transform our lives, that we would lean into you, and that as we lean in, you continue to show us what it looks like to walk with you. We love you. Thanks for loving us first. In your name we pray. Amen.